0: Divine Masculinity – Making Sense of the Four Main Masculine Archetypes Welcome to an exploration of Divine Masculinity. We're going to explore this topic and I hope to give you an overview of some of the key archetypes we can use in our step towards Divine or Complete or perhaps Better, More Mature Masculinity. This is intended for women as much as men, and especially for anybody who places themselves between these polarities, as I do. In sharing this, I'm not suggesting that I'm a mature version of the divine masculine. Well, no more than anybody else is. We all have this potential resting within us. And part of our work now is to step towards these fuller versions of ourselves. Not being complete, let's be honest, we are never really complete in our journey towards fullness. Even the full king archetype expressed in all his divine majesty is still a step on our journey. Well, except maybe for Aragon. He nails it. Not being complete gives me a better perspective on the challenges we face in today's world, particularly as immature men growing up in a world devoid of ritual rites of initiation, where our elders are ostracised and in which our noble kings are instead perverted, precocious childs or tyrants intent on ruling with power and manipulation. I've attended men's circles and men's retreats. I've studied the literature and recently I hosted a workshop at Hedene in which I received positive feedback and requests for a follow-up resource. This article is inspired by that desire in the men around me to walk towards a better version of themselves. Here's how we're gonna flow. What is divine masculinity? Why is this important for us all at this time? What are the four main masculine archetypes? And finally, how can we step towards a more mature version of masculinity within ourselves and within society? Two notes on my writing. I'm going to use the pronouns men and women in this article, though I feel they're insubstantial for the gender fluidity we live within our current reality. I believe all of us have an equal balance of masculine and feminine within us. And at the same time, men have a tendency to lean towards and learn from the masculine archetypes, while women have a better chance of engaging with and understanding the main feminine archetypes. I use the word archetype to refer to words that have a large symbolic meaning, Carl Jung defined the archetypes as ideas that help us understand the subconscious realm. They are ideas, symbols, words with deep and broad meaning that help us give language and provide reference points where we, when we explore our inner psychology, which is, by its nature, unknowable with a strategic mind, complex and ambiguous. As we explore the archetypal ideas inherited, inherent in masculinity, I invite a personal exploration of your own relationship to these concepts and a gentle noticing of where you feel your own development could do with some attention. I personally am working on becoming more of the warrior in my life, for example. I'm doing this by drawing clean and clear boundaries, by working with my anger in a good way, and by learning jujitsu. What is divine masculinity? Divine masculinity means full, complete, and balanced masculinity. It's men who understand their responsibility in the world, who act as kings, who respect themselves and their women. It's men who are in service to the realm, egoless and proud while maintaining humility and acceptance of their limitations. Archetypally, the king is the most mature version of masculinity. Let's face it, many of us, absolutely 100% including myself in this, are not quite exhibiting their divine balanced king in their lives. In my understanding, in order to arrive at the balanced and centered version of the masculine psyche, we need to balance our lover and magician archetype. With them in a more mature space, we are ready to embrace the warrior. At least that's the order it seems to happen in most men. Once we've got our warrior in a more balanced version, we are on the path to step into our king. I'm using these archetypes a lot because they have such depth of meaning. Divine doesn't mean godly like the Christian God. It doesn't mean a man who is divorced from nature, who doesn't get dirty, and who doesn't make love. It's not a man who wears white robes and spends all day in prayer, though that's okay if that's your bag. I believe our new divine masculinity is the inter tribal rainbow warrior the Hopi prophecy spoke of. It's the man who spans academia and tantra. It's the man who walks whose work is aligned with purpose and recognizes the convergence of crisis and is addressing it as best he can. It's the man who wakes up at 6am with his kids, empties the dishwasher and makes his lover tea in bed while he takes the kids to the bus. It's divine also to recognize your limitations, to be with the grief of lost wisdom, to acknowledge the mountain before us to climb and importantly to be stepping in a noble and empowered way up the first few steps. That's how I feel. Supported by the inspirational men around me, by my own inclination and heart, I consider myself a divine man who is doing his best in the current context of confused masculinity we find our current culture burdened with. Mature men acknowledge their wounding, get taken down by life, have periods of depression and are willing to go to the core of grief and despair. We're not clean sheets. We make mistakes, big ones, and we learn and grow because of them. Why is this important for all of us at this time? We exist in a crisis of masculinity. I hesitate to even mention their names, but Boris Johnson and Donald Trump give you a sense of where we are culturally when reflecting on the state of masculinity. BJ represents the precocious child. DT is the tyrant. Both sit within the shadow realm of the king archetype. More on this below. They are incomplete and immature, bless their souls. They've grown up in a world devoid of the necessary passages of initiation into manhood. They were probably abused as children and neglected in their upbringing. BJ attended one of the world's top schools, Eton, known for its perversion of masculinity and the high bar of expectations put on young men to achieve and perform. They're conditioned by our culture to act out in the way they lead. My warrior would happily have them both assassinated. My king has compassion, yet knows enough is enough. We can, attend, we can address our crisis of masculinity by learning the wisdom of the mature man. Almost lost, we're lucky that the secrets to noble manhood are encoded within poems and fairy tales like Iron John. Men like Robert Bly have done great work to expound this almost lost wisdom and men's work like the Mankind Project and Men's Spedition are enabling men to re-engage with this in practical and supported peer-to-peer spaces. Women, if you're tired of your man acting out, or men, If you're tired of your man acting out, as my ex-wife was, send him on a men's retreat. It might help. And you're drawing a boundary in the face of his immaturity and lack of respect for your sacred sexuality or whatever else it may be that your man is showing up deficient and immature. May just be the gift of the call to adventure that he really needs right now. Don't mollycoddle your man. See his inner king. Treat him as such. Men, if you're tired of acting out, as I was and sometimes still am take yourself off on a retreat that might that might be time alone in the wilderness men since time immemorial have found nourishment and development within the wilderness better i'd maintain would be to maintain, to attend a men's expedition retreat or a local men's group although not always my bag everything i've done like this has helped me grow and develop even if that growth growth has been a clear lack of resonance and better understanding of the kinds of men's work I'd like to be attending. Last month I attended a week-long retreat hosted by the brilliant Men's Expedition Group here in the UK and found the whole experience totally nourishing and supportive. I can highly recommend their work. What are the four main masculine archetypes? <clears throat> in the Jungian al- analysis of our psychology it appears there are four main masculine archetypes, the king, the lover the warrior and the magician. Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette, both such handsome beardy men wearing woolen jumpers, explore these archetypes in their great book, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, rediscovering the archetypes of the mature masculine. To give these concepts a little practical grounding, I'm going to share part of my own journey in integrating these into my life. Feel free to ignore the parts that are personal to me. They're just to give a more embodied sense of how these archetypes show up in our lives. As you read, I encourage you to focus on your own relationship to these ideas and where you feel some attention and development could be given or needed. Within the following archetypes, I mention the idea of a gateway emotion. This is the thing that needs holding well in order to see the archetype through to a mature state. The immature or shadow expression shows up on a spectrum from active to passive shadow. Read on to find out how these phases within each archetype might relate to you. The Magician. Sparrowhawk, the magician in Ursula K. Le Guin's epic fantasy Earthsea, is an excellent example of the magician archetype. The story, set across seven wonderfully poetic books, charts the life of Sparrowhawk learning how to practice magic and become a full and empowered version of himself. He learns to speak the language of the world, takes down some badass dragons and in doing so has to face his own shadow while ultimately and nobly accepting his role as Archmage. He rejoins the broken ring of Bay, rescues Princess Aha from the underground labyrinth and helps the king come into his own power before being crowned king of all Earthsea. The magician is initiated into rarefied realms of secret power. I studied philosophy of religion at Bristol University and thereby became initiated into that realm of wisdom and power. I've trained with some of the world's greatest leadership consultants and adult development specialists so I can perform what sometimes feels like a magic trick when a team is in conflict or when a leader is confused about what decision to make. I can shift perspective, my own and that of others. I can see relational dynamics at play and I can name things others don't see. When I give keynote speeches, I can inspire those listening, giving broader perspectives while enabling feelings of community, coherence and commitment to a movement previously only partly understood. I've spent years drinking the magical potions only recently available to us in the West that our indigenous cultures of the Amazon Basin have preserved since time immemorial. Sitting in these magical spaces, I've been lucky enough to witness true shamanism and received healing I never thought possible Certainly, my university didn't prepare me for what life later bought me as a gift. Witnessing the power of music and prayer in these spaces, I've trained with some of the world's greatest medicine musicians and dedicated thousands of hours to my guitar technique so that I may be trusted to share music that has the power to heal and transform. These songs, for me, are magic spells in which I use white magic to help those around me. When playing, I'm channeling my guides, being aware of the huge responsibility of the moment and doing my best to show up egoless and in service. None of this makes me special or unique. The magician within all of us has these capacities and skills which often rest dormant. I'm sure you're initiated into your own realm of secret power, be that finances, philosophy or horticulture. Or perhaps you've shared poems, told stories or woven intellectual understanding that has, in some form, performed magic on those receiving your gift. More practically, consider just how magical it is to go on a walk with somebody who knows what kinds of trees the energy of which you're bathing within. Or the magic of being with a mother in the midst of weaving magical realms of childhood mystery as she creates cookies and dens and mythical landscapes for her little ones. All of this is The Magician. He's the storyteller, the sharer of sacred knowledge, the musician and poet. She's the witch, the wild woman, the herbalist and the potion perfecter. She's the creative visionary, the artist, the dancer, the lover of beauty. Consider Gandalf or Yoda. The magician is also the guide. He's the shaman and poet, the mentor and coach. I follow the work of Ninawa and David White, both whom I consider to be living embodiments of the magician archetype. I'm trained by Jennifer Garvey-Berger, who I consider to be the world's greatest adult development specialist and a true witch in her own very unassuming way. They say the gateway emotion for the magician is fear. To learn more about your magician archetype, go towards those things you fear. Have courage. Know that some kind of ego death is probably needed, and rest assured that men and women have gone through the harshest initiation processes since the beginning of time to help ensure that true development takes place. This is the balanced and mature version. In the shadow of each archetype, we have the passive and active pole. The active shadow magician is the manipulator the one who uses his power for greed and self-aggrandizement. The shadow is castrated, the conjurer unaware of his true magic or simply not knowing what a real initiation might look like. It's the man ignorant of his powers or the one being irresponsible with his not-so-secret powers is how the shadow plays out. It's the witch who manipulates for her own good. Let's explore the lover. Our lover is presence and playfulness. He's engaged by sensuality and is a lover of all sensual delights, including food, the home, the olfactory smell, landscape, as well as sound and sight. <clears throat> He's the man of hobbies, the amateur, literally lover in Latin, who loves his craft. He's the craftsman who perfects his model, making in the upstairs loft while sharing his love with his grandchildren. He is balanced poetic pride erotic pride and balanced sexuality whatever the leaning in fact the more i've seen the mature lover become embodied the more i've witnessed both in myself and in others the dissolution of gender as an ingredient in sexual orientation last year at the hedene seminar near berlin i kissed a couple of men for the first time in my life i found the experience sensually interesting but not particularly erotically exciting Mostly I felt surprisingly liberated from childhood conditioning where to be gay was the worst insult anybody could think of. (laughs) Haha, fuck that. No longer limited, my mature lover feels comfortable and balanced kissing men as a greeting. Feels comfortable expressing emotional closeness and being touched and touching men in sensual ways. It's a glorious landscape that I was, when immature in this aspect, limited by. My world is now a better place because of a willingness to take myself to the edge of my sense making, to take a risk, a leap, a step into the unknown, only available to me knowing I would be supported by mature men around me. In doing so, I have found a new ground from which to step forward and I actively seek out those edgy spaces of sexuality with men where I reach my edge of what I think I know. The lover is a sacred space holder. He is the one with presence in the midst of lovemaking. He's caring and attentive to his own and others' needs. He's proud of his erotic desires and his erotic nature. He shares his body and his sacred sexuality in careful and consensual ways and thereby achieves sexual delight in himself and those around him. He's respectful and careful in understanding the depth of healing available to us when interacting in tantric spaces. The active shadow of the lover is the manipulator. He's the codependent lover who manipulates his women and places his needs above hers. He easily loses his centre in relationships and in lovemaking and does his best to please those around him, not knowing his own needs. As a passive lover, he's avoidant, lacking the inner integrity to create powerful and lasting relationships. He suppresses his emotions and avoids grief. The gateway emotion for the lover is grief. The man who is willing to experience despair, to go to the core of his grief, to process these emotions and to come out the other side a larger version of himself, is the lover in the process of growth. The lover needs the warrior to be safe. Before we dive into the warrior, I encourage you to reflect on your own relationship to the magician inside and to the lover inside you and to explore gently where you feel some attention could be given. The warrior. The warrior stands for truth and clarity. He's good at drawing lines, creating boundaries. He's got his anger under control, as well as having his ego in check. He's selfless. He's the ninja, the samurai, in devoted service to the king, to the realm. He's willing to put his life on the line to die for his cause. He doesn't retreat in the face of total defeat, but draws a circle in the dirt and fights until his death. There is a story in the Boudicca series written by Manda Scott where Ardokos, along with his closest and last surviving bear warriors, in the face of total defeat by the invading Roman legions, decide to form the bear line. Something not seen in living memory, the bear warriors draw a circle in the dirt and commit to not leaving the circle until death. Writing that has actually brought tears to my eyes. I'm sensing a depth of willingness or desire to serve, to understand my own mortality in the face of our current planetary crisis, and a calling to put my life on the line also. How will we explain our choices to our children? Yeah, um, sorry about that. Yeah, we did know we were living in a bad way. Yeah, we saw impending doom. Yes, we still decided to drive our cars and use iPhones, both of which I do. And yes, we missed the opportunity to stand up for what we believe in. Um, I was afraid, and I'm sorry that because of my fear, the world is a disgusting, horrible mess and that you're born with plastics in your blood and hormones out of balance. That's because I couldn't be fucked to show up as the warrior. I was weak and uh, took the easier route. I don't want to have to say that or to admit that as the inner truth or to admit that as the inner truth while lying to my kids. Instead, I'm working on my noble warrior. He's the part of me that stands up for a lack of professionalism in the production teams I'm part of. He's the warrior that won't let a leader lose eye contact with me when I tell them straight that they are killing their staff and will soon lose my support, offering a total refund, if they don't change their ways and start prioritising their team's well-being above profit. Trigger warning. Below, I share a personal story about suicide. Please feel free to skip the following three paragraphs if you are sensitive to this and or to zoom forward a minute or two. My mum, Judith Hardy, killed herself aged 37 when I was 12 because she was suffering from a world out of balance. She was, I believe, an HSP, a highly sensitive person. I I believe I have the same neurodiversity characteristic as many of us do particularly the ones of us who are sensitive to the wounding of our world. As a healer, she worked as a doctor. She did her best to serve her community, but working within an unsupportive system, she was not held. Her grief was unprocessed, and bless her choice, she saw no way out but to end her life. In researching suicide, I've learned from interviews with suicide attempt survivors that many of them feel that the world would be a better place without them, that they're getting in the way bringing others down with their sadness and grief, and that, ultimately, their choice to go is an act of service to the community. I think that's fucking badass, and a perspective that I hold for my mum's choice to die. In the depth of an ayahuasca journey facilitated by Ninawa last year in Tulum, I had the wonderful gift of experiencing the moment of my mum's death. Instead of being a small and confused child, I was my current version, a mature and balanced man. In the vision, I held my mother as she took her life-ending medication and looking into her eyes, let her know that from the depths of my soul, I understood and accepted her choice, even celebrated it. I acknowledged her warrior, her wisdom and her courage, and I let her know that I respected her choice and that she should go and could go into the afterlife free of guilt or shame. This was singularly, the most healing moment of my entire life. I've been processing the grief of her passing in many ways over the years and to reach this point of total acceptance and even celebration has felt like something of a completion. I share this story. Thank you for reading and receiving that. Because it's in her memory that I work in organizational change, in well-being, in team dynamics. I see mental health and our current silent epidemic of suicide as an unforgivable tragedy of our time. And being in contact with this grief helps me express my anger in a clean and clear way. The warrior expresses clean and clear anger. He stands up for his beliefs and draws very clear boundaries around what he thinks is acceptable or not. She is the mother in protection of her cubs. She is the wise woman who fights for the preservation of nature. He doesn't seek permission. He knows what he stands for and he stands for it powerfully. The active shadow of the warrior sees violence and aggression as the only way forward. He's the killer who fights wars from anger and despair, comparing the number of kills he's made with his mates. As a passive warrior, he's self-depreciating. He doesn't hold his anger well and enters the state of despair too easily. He's angry and doesn't know how to express that well. A mature warrior archetype enables us to step towards the king. Let's explore that now. The king sits at the centre of his realm. He is balance and order. Around him is symmetry and he meets his queen in divine union. The king has the power to bless and is connected to his divinity recognizing that he's a channel of source energy to come through him and into his realm. He's in service of his community yet he maintains his authority and centrality within this group. As Solomon did he is discernment and profound judgment. As Sisyphus did he's the ruler who lets people practice their own religion. He cares for his subjects and recognizes his calling to bring his realm into a a place of harmony and balance. <clears throat> Around him is change, is trade, equality and clarity. The king has vision. He sees long into the future and long into the past. He recognises that his authority is divinely given and maintained through his ruling fairly. He is power and law, yet he does so with humility and only uses his personal power where necessary. To arrive at the king, we must step through our warrior, As in Iron John, the prince must first be initiated, must leave the realm and face his inner demons before he is able to rule the army to overthrow the local tyrant threatening his realm. Once he's done these things, he can then be crowned king. In my journey to kinghood, I work on the warrior in me. As above, I stand for what I know to be true. I put myself in service. I name the women around me as queen and thereby... Step by step, I move towards my king in a good and careful way. I also seek inspiration. I turn to Aragon. I read Iron John. I visit my male mentors who I feel embody the king, like Anthony Johnston and Mac McCartney. The gateway emotion to the king is joy. Anywhere I feel joy in my life, like in my work, I go towards. I embody joy in conversation. I seek it out. As Joseph Campbell said, Follow your bliss. The king is that which ushers in a new way, which builds a new realm. He's active in the decomposition of old paradigms and the builder of new. He holds the vision of those around him where they are lost and confused. He maintains his centrality in the midst of chaos and brings clarity to complexity. He creates a council around him honoring diversity and inclusivity. He employs a jester one of the lost archetypes, more on them below. His jester points out where nobody else would dare take the risk that he's being an idiot and needs checking. The passive king abdicates responsibility. He hands over his crown, not to his son, as it should be, but he simply removes his crown, unable to handle the responsibility to rule well. In active mode, he's the tyrant ruling for his own greed and motivated by selfishness, Remember DT and BJ mentioned above. Don't give them too much attention, though. Instead, hold them as perfect examples of the kind of immature masculinity we are thankfully moving beyond. There are noble men all around. I witness their prowess and power every day. I try to hang out with them, to talk with them, to create experiences and events with them. Just by being in conversation with the kings around you, you'll draw towards you the more mature version of yourself. Yet the king needs his jester, as does he need the wild man and the rainbow warrior. A map, not the territory. King, warrior, magician, lover was written in the 90s, such a great era, by two middle-aged privileged white guys. It's a great read and has quotes like, patriarchy is the expression of the immature masculine. It is the expression of boy psychology and, in part, the shadow or crazy side of masculinity. It expresses the stunted masculine fixated at immature levels. It's a good book, but it's also incomplete. As with any archetypal matrix attempting to give shape to our unfathomable unconscious, these four main archetypes are just that, main archetypes. They're also a map, not the territory. We miss certain key archetypes like the wild man. The book and fairy tale Iron John explores the importance of this character. Think, where is the wild man in today's society? Women are getting in touch with their wild woman and we would do a lot of good to learn from them in this aspect. Or perhaps better we can learn about our wild man by embracing and embodying the wild woman within us all. She's the naked witch covered in dirt running through the moonlit woods at midnight casting spells and drinking blood. Booyah. Let's do that more. I love the wild man. At the men's expedition retreat last month at one point, around midnight actually, I stripped naked, removing all necklaces, rings and watches and covered myself in wet ash as I approached the circle of men sitting around the fire, all being very sensible and contemplative. Circling the shadows, I swore at a few men, licked one's beard and shook my penis at another. Nothing major, just a small representation of the wild man who I felt had been missed out of our collective exploration. I believe we're also at a time where these old archetypes do not serve us fully. Not only are they incomplete symbolic representations, they're defined by an extremely narrow representation of masculinity, middle-aged white guys. What about the drag king or the drag queen? Where does that archetype set? God knows we need them to help us through our current confusion. And what about the rainbow warrior who rides with flowers and LSD? In a narrowly Western and extremely sensible version of the archetypes, this character has no place. And yet it is from these cultural outliers that we must take wisdom and solace and learn from their wisdom in what our collective emergent future might look like. I want to also name and honour the pansexual, gender-fluid, transgender tech entrepreneur. I know somebody who, I believe, she wouldn't mind me saying, fits roughly within this description. I think it's fucking awesome that we live in a world where this kind of magical person is allowed and embraced. At least within certain very open-minded and developed circles. She's a burning man, advocate, a globally pioneering tech entrepreneur and she, at least for me, represents a totally new kind of human being that concretely does not fit into our outdated ideas of masculine archetypes. How can we step towards a more mature version of masculinity within ourselves and within society? An invitation to action. This article is intended to give you something of a grounding in the world of masculine archetypes. I hope I've helped shed some light on how we, you, me, can all step towards a more mature adult version of ourselves. I hope I've also acknowledged the gift of our diversity we have in our culture right now and that everybody has felt rightly included within this exploration. In attempting to be inclusive, I've also worked to show the limitations of any system, especially any system of thought developed by white men. Within this deconstruction of useful ideas, I hold an invitation to expand on my thinking here. If you resonate more with the rainbow warrior archetype, I'd love to hear how are you working towards a sense of maturity in your developmental journey? And if you resonate with the pansexual, gender fluid, transgender character, I'd love to know what you feel a mature version of humanity looks like. This is where I meet my edge of understanding. And I know that the edge is where it's at, for me at least. What works well when we find our edge is to have others help us make sense, to take in multiple perspectives, to ask better questions, and to attempt to step back and see the system that we are naming while simultaneously holding open the emergence of something new and more useful. Let's do this together. Please leave a comment, sign up to my mailing list, or share this with somebody who you think might resonate with some of the themes we've explored. Thank you for reading.